This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. 8.47 a.m. You are listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana with Shouning and Philip C. In about 15 minutes, we have the opening bell and we'll also be looking at corporate news coming out of Maxis, Petchem and Ambank. But we are continuing our retrospective on the war in Ukraine and its impact, looking at how it's impacted the global economy. A year has passed since Russia invaded Ukraine on February 24th, triggering widespread panic around global politics, a surge in commodity and fertilizer prices, and also exacerbated global food security. More importantly, business confidence and higher investor uncertainty weighed on asset prices and capital outflows from global markets, particularly in Europe. Now, the global economy still seems to be reeling from the after-effects of the war, but supply chain and logistics bottlenecks have moderated, while commodity prices have also abated. Surprisingly, companies and countries in the developed and also emerging markets have proved surprisingly resilient, so far avoiding the worst-case scenario of a painful recession or or hard landing. Will the effects of the war, however, continue to weigh on global economic growth, or is the worst over? For insights, we speak to Swan Tekin, Head of Global Economics and Markets Research at UOB. Tekin, good morning. Thank you very much for joining us. Now, the International Monetary Fund is projecting global growth to fall from 3.4% in 2022 to 2.9% in 2023. To what extent is the lost production down to the impact of the Russia-Ukraine war? And do you also share the view of slower growth this year? Right. Uh, good morning. Um, I think I share the view that uh, uh, this year we are going to get slower growth uh, for uh, in 2023. Uh, the reason why is that we had actually not a bad year in 2022, despite the um, Russia-Ukraine war. Now, I'll give you an example. Uh, for example, my colleague in uh, KL, Malaysia, uh, in KL um, expecting Malaysia growth to be at 4% this year. And that's uh, from down from 8.7%. So this is the same story for most other countries in the world. Now, uh, whether it's um, down from uh, because of the impact of lost production from uh, uh, Russia-Ukraine, I think that's one factor. But the other more important uh, factors, I feel, is that the U.S. Fed and also other central banks in the world have been tightening interest rate. So the uh, effect on uh, tightened uh, conditions and also uh, the, the uh, weakening in demand is going to show up uh, very uh, uh, a lot in uh, a lot more uh, in 2023. So uh, we are already seeing some uh, export numbers have been uh, weakening across uh, most of these uh, Asian exporters. Now, January's PMI confirmed the Eurozone economy is faring better than expected, with the composite PMI returning to expansionary territory for the first time since June 2022. You know, how has the Eurozone managed to do this in spite of the impact from the war? Well, uh, if you look at the composite uh, PMI, basically it uh, composed of two components. One is the uh, manufacturing sector and the other one is services sector. The reason why the com- composite PMI has been doing well is uh, being held, uh, supported by the services uh, PMI. And the manufacturing PMI is all in most of the countries in Eurozone are in, uh, in uh, contraction uh, territory. So what it tells us is that um, the consumer, the spending, I think is still going on and supporting the services uh, activities, whereas on the, on the manufacturing side has been uh, really affected by by the war, especially on the on energy uh, supply uh, on energy supplies and also on the supply chain uh, disruptions uh, because of the Russian Ukraine conflict. Okay, because some economists have described this conflict as sheer geopolitical uncertainty, which then accentuates the risk of recession. Mm-hmm. Do you have a worst case scenario in terms of a global economy 
if this war actually really spirals out of control? Well, I think this is a scary question. <laughs> if it really spirals out of control, uh, we hope you don't get to that. Um, you know, because the two sides, uh, especially on the Russian side, is talking about uh, using the N-word, uh, nuclear. So uh, I think we, we hope you don't get into uh, that kind of situation. And the two sides are actually getting quite close to um, direct uh, confrontation because of all these uh, weapon supplies. But so far, uh, in terms of a uh, direct confrontation, I think the two sides, uh, the soldiers, don't meet each other. So that's a usual uh, pattern for these uh, major conflict in the world that the superpowers, uh, in terms of direct conflict, is uh, kept to the minimum and through a proxy war. In this case, uh, Ukraine is the is a proxy here. So I think uh, this is uh, really unthinkable in terms of the worst case scenario. But what we do see is that it's going to put a lot of uh, un, uh, the downward pressure in terms of uh, economic activities. And also geopolitical uncertainty has uh, uh, risen significantly. If you look at the visits by Biden to, uh, to uh, Ukraine and also visits by Chinese um, uh, top uh, diplomat to Russia. So we can see that the geopolitical divide has uh, increased uh, significantly. And if we take a look at um, the agriculture sector, um, uh, mm. Gain, uh, you, we know that mm-hmm. Russia and Ukraine export nearly a third of the world's wheat and barley, more than mm-hmm. 70% of its sunflower oil, and they're big suppliers of corn. Russia is also the top global fertilizer producer. Fertilizer producer. How has uh, this war impacted uh, food security um, and how are countries coping? Yes, you're right. Uh, you know, Russia is and Ukraine as well, uh, all these are major uh, exporters of uh, the items that you mentioned, sunflower, oil, and all those. So what happens here is this. Uh, I think some of these are big producers, uh, other big producers, like for example, uh, in, uh, India, in terms of wheat and other uh, countries, actually so-called, actually there are no, <laughs> there are no winners in this kind of uh, situation. But anyway, those uh, countries with an abundance of supply of uh, you know, the products, like for example, wheat and all that will benefit from the situation. Mm. But unfortunately, the ultimately, there is still shortage, right? There's still shortage for uh, for some of these items that you mentioned and people look for alternatives or they look for replacements. So what happens is that, you know, all the countries, how do we cope? Uh, higher prices, uh, basically the rule of the day uh, for, for quite a number of months already and likely to continue to do so. Let's talk about black gold, because during the height of the war, we saw Brent oil prices reach a near-time high, close to $130 per barrel. Prices now, though, are about $80 per barrel. So in spite of the ban on Russian crude oil exports, do you foresee oil prices rising further should the war escalate? And what will this mean for global inflation? Right. Uh, in terms of crude oil, uh, interestingly, uh, uh, crude oil prices, have, uh, crude oil uh, supply, uh, Russia is the world's number two, number three, largest uh, crude oil supplier. If you look at the latest data, uh, that's up to only from EIA, so now up to October, uh, Russia continue to supply, like for example, per, in terms of um, barrels per day, uh, it's about 11 uh, million, which is about the same as a year before, which is before the conflict. So now you think about it, um, there's uh, actually the crude oil supply from uh, Russia is still continue to go to the market, but obviously it cannot go to the open market uh, to other uh, other uh, buyers because of these uh, ban and sanctions, right? So meaning that the crude oil supply continuing into the market and there's some uh, some losses as well because you cannot do as freely as before. And so it's supply to friendlier countries or buyers like uh, India, uh, to uh, I think, and also uh, China as well. But still, there's still a gap 
right? There's still a gap because Russia cannot produce as freely as they used to be uh, able to. So what happens here is this. So the prices are likely to be uh, continue to see upward pressure because if there are more sanctions being applied, then this supply would be at risk of not reaching, or uh, more and more supplies will be at risk of not reaching the market. So the upward pressure on prices are quite high, right? And also in terms of inflation, obviously, I mean, these are energy prices, a very important ingredient for our day-to-day living and production and all that. So, so that is going to be, um, I think, the inflation uh, pressures will come down, the inflation pressure will come down, but because of these kind of uh, expectations, so uh, I'm likely to come down uh, significantly, or even if it come down, come down, it's going to be come down very uh, slowly in terms of the inflation rates. Which countries in this region do you see doing better economically then? So I think in this kind of a situation uh, where everybody really are scrambling to secure supplies and, and, and whatnot, right? So I think the countries that are uh, in, in this region, uh, for example, able to uh, be more resilient will be those are countries with uh, adequate or with supplies, you know, uh, with uh, the abundant supplies of the resources. For example, like Malaysia is one of them. You know, you have abundant uh, supply of uh, resources either on the ground or above the ground. And Indonesia, same thing. So those, uh, you have stuff under the ground, over the ground. And, and those are countries that uh, will be able to be more self-sufficient and also be able to be more uh, resilient as the conflict continues to uh, drag on with no end uh, in sight. Tetkin, thank you very much for speaking with us. That was Swan Tetkin, Head of Global Economics and Markets Research at UOB, talking to us about the economic impact of the war in Ukraine uh, after one year. I, I wanted to share with you a very interesting nugget, totally irrelevant to this whole conversation, although partly relevant as well. You know, we talked like about you, but never mind. Never mind, right? <laughs> so, I, I heard that the Ukrainian economy actually is holding up relatively okay, and one sector that is actually flourishing is the IT tech sector in Ukraine. Simply because what's happening there is that a lot of global MNCs are out of solidarity, actually giving uh, services to the Ukraine tech sector. So that sector is apparently booming economically in Ukraine. Now that's why it's not relevant because this whole conversation is about how the Ukrainian war has a global macroeconomic impact right on so many dimensions still relevant uh philip it's it's fine you're well within the (laughs) well within the scope of discussion i feel (laughs) but yes i think there is a lot of attention on both how the war has impacted the ukrainian and russian economy i think recent data coming out of russia has shown that um, the impact of the war has been less bad than anticipated they have seen a a shrinking in their economy but uh, it's by no means the um you know the figure that economists were expecting. So the sanctions don't seem to be working as well as I think originally planned. That's right. And if you just look at Bloomberg, right, last year, despite the sanctions, the GDP only shrank by 2.1%. And then for this year, it's expected to shrink by another 3%. And then we're going to see growth of 1.5%. And unemployment still remains actually still okay, below 5%. That is, I think, the interesting thing. I mean, when they were forecasting, Russia was expected to grow in contrast to UK, yeah, so I think that for me was the striking part. Despite all these some sanctions, it's not really hitting Russia's macro numbers. Although many, of course, see the impact at the unit level with the banks being affected. You know, certain businesses there affected, but the macro numbers seems to be holding up well. Yeah, I guess another question is long term, though. I mean, for yes. now it's holding up, but in the long term, I think sanctions do have a detrimental if- impact. It's a matter of when will we actually see this play out. And in the meantime, the US still continues to plans announce. 
sweeping sanctions against key sectors uh, against Russia, it's not letting down on this at all. 8.59 in the morning. We're heading into the 9am news bulletin and after that we have the opening bell as well as international market analysis with Tim Mulholland of TJM Limited in Chicago. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.